This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher, and I am excited today to have a guest host, a guy that I met at the Evangelical Homiletic Society, Greg Hollifield. Greg, I'll tell you people who you are in just a minute, but it's great to have you on these, this episode. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Like I said uh, to other people, preaching today has been a great blessing to me across the years, and to be able to sit down and talk to you today is just a, a great honor, so thank you. Well, you, you said when we were just chatting before we started recording that that is not vain praise, and I told you we take all forms of praise. So anyway, <laughs> thanks for your vain or unvain praise or whatever it is. No, I really appreciate that. We're glad that we can be of service to you. And uh, Greg serves as the Associate Dean at Memphis College for Urban and Theological Studies at Union University. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. That's a heck of a title. You'd need a very large business card to get that all on there. Yeah, it's the name of the school that really drags it out. Yeah, okay. And I take it you live in Memphis. Is that right? I actually live in North Mississippi, but the school is in Memphis. Oh, okay, great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Greg's also the book editor for the Journal of Evangelical Homiletic Society. So it's great to have you on this episode. So, Greg, we'd like to start with just a little more personal note. Let me ask you this question. I like to ask like how people got called into preaching, or here's another question that I want to ask you today. Who has been the biggest influence in your calling as a preacher? Initially, it would have been my youth pastor and senior pastor. I became a believer at the age of 15 and answered the call to preach less than a year later. So those two men were very important to me. Around the same time, I was listening to well-known preachers on the radio, and I was particularly drawn to the preaching of Stuart Briscoe and even more so Chuck Swindoll. Uh, later, I went to Bible college. I read John Broaddus' book on the preparation and delivery of sermons, and then Hag Robinson's book on biblical preaching. It had just come out uh, three years earlier, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That introduced me to Hag. Yeah, that's great. To this day, he remains my biggest influence. What do, yeah. you th- what do you think was the—what did you appreciate the most about Haddon? I mean, there's so much to talk about. For people that didn't know Haddon Robinson, he's sort of the— uh, father of sort of the modern expositional preaching and the big idea in preaching. What what did you appreciate the most about Haddon? He was easy to read. He was very clear in his thinking. True. His, pre- his preaching engrossed you. So you not only received the exposition of the Scripture, you also had an experience with the Scripture. Something took place in you on a deeper level than just your mind. It was down in the heart, down in the soul. Yeah. So I appreciated that about him and his preaching, but then I got to meet him, spend some time with him, found him to be probably one of the most genuine believers uh, that I have ever met, a very humble man. True. And everyone that I've met him has just had nothing but good things to say. So Haddon was just just a wonderful person all around. I'm very thankful that God brought him into my life. Greg, I wonder he might have had some influence in you in your Ph.D. work, and your, sort of one of your uh, burdens as a preacher is the, the role of emotion in expository preaching, which I want to talk to you about today. But before we get into that, just how did Haddon, how did he preach? Uh, we know he's so committed to expositional preaching. How did he preach with, a, with emotion? How did, how did you see that in him? There was a transparency about him. There was a real humanity. He did not come across as someone who walked six feet above contradiction. Hmm. He was honest. He was transparent. But he was also careful. Sometimes there is a conversational chattiness 
about preachers who think that they're keeping it real that is really almost beneath the pulpit. It's just not appropriate. It should be a higher level of conversation than what you would carry on over a table down at Starbucks. It needs to be a little bit more than that. So Haddon seemed to hit the, the right note there. He seemed to get the right balance. And that wasn't something he really promoted. I picked up on it. Let me tie this back to preaching today. Back in the day, I sent a sermon to preaching today to have it evaluated. And I was told there just wasn't enough emotion in it. Hmm. Well, that got me to wondering, how do you be an expository preacher and also convey emotion? Is the emotion supposed to come from the text? Is it supposed to come from me? Where does it come from? So I started listening more closely to Haddon's sermons, and I realized that the emotions he was evoking were in line with the content of the text he was expositing. So when I finally got around to my doctoral studies, that was what I concentrated on, the dynamic of pathos and expository preaching with special attention given to the theory and practice of Haddon W. Robinson. That was my focus. Yeah, that's a great focus. So so you talked about the pathos in a text, in a biblical text. Uh, We have an article, a skills article I'm preaching today by Michael uh, Quick, and he it's it's called your text has feelings does does that resonate with you i mean would you agree with that is that the way you would say that and and what does it mean that a text has feelings yeah so every text is written by humans to other humans as humans we are created in the image of god the bible portrays god as expressing a wide range of emotions So it's natural that anything that we do as human beings should have emotion about it. That goes for us as the preachers of the text. That goes for the authors who pen the text. That goes for the audiences that sat in front of those authors hearing the text read. That goes for our audiences today. You can't escape emotion. So yes, I very much agree with that idea that texts have feelings, and we must pay attention to them. Yeah. I think a lot of preachers are are wary of being manipulative. I'm pulling on people's heartstrings. I'm just sort of getting people to feel in ways that are just not genuine. So anyway, what would you say to that, that preaching the emotion in the text and being having emotions as a, as a preacher is manipulative? Yeah, that has always struck me as a rather hollow argument against emotion in preaching. And here's why. The mind can be manipulated as easily as the heart. You can misrepresent the meaning of the text, but you can also misrepresent the mood of the text. Hmm. If you're not paying attention to the intentions of the text emotionally, you may very well end up using that text to elicit emotions that the text did not intend that you should elicit. If you don't deal with emotion in the text as the text intended, it just creates problems for people interpreting the text, applying the text. That is a form of manipulation. When you're dishonest in the emotions you're displaying, that's another form of manipulation. So yes, you can be emotionally manipulative, you can be intellectually manipulative, 
I don't think you need to be any more worried about being emotionally manipulative than you are being manipulative on any other level. Just understand how manipulation emotionally can take place. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a recent sermon that you have preached and a recent text. And I didn't give you this assignment before, so this is we're we're I'm flying by the seat of my pants here and I'm just asking you to just speak uh, very spontaneously here. Let's think of a sermon that you gave recently, and I'd like you to describe what were the emotions in that text, and then how did you bring the emotions out of that text? So let's just deal with the first question first. A recent sermon you preached, and what were the emotions that you experienced, saw, observed, whatever, in that text? So I was asked to do a pastoral installation service for a former student of mine. And I knew that within his context of ministry, the pursuit of blessing was was a major consideration. You want to be blessed. So I ended up in the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, wanting a blessing. And the more I studied that text, the more I realized that that was not the first time that Jacob had ever wrestled for a blessing. Hmm. He wrestled with his brother Esau in the womb. He wrestled with Esau when they got older. He wrestled with his uncle Laban. He was a wrestler. He was one who grabbed the heel. He was a lifelong cheater. He was always in pursuit of a blessing. But when we find him there in Genesis 31, I believe it is, he's afraid His brother Esau is coming to meet him with an armed guard, and he is by himself. So how do I bring that out in the sermon? I decided that it would be better for me not to begin that message, as we so often do with something in the contemporary world, go back to the biblical world, try to tie it together, and and proceed from there. I, I remember now how I started that sermon very clearly. Jacob was all alone in a deep, dark gorge down by the Jabbok River. It was the middle of the night. He could not sleep. That's that's Suddenly and without warning. Yeah, I mean, it just goes on from there. But you see what I'm doing there? I'm getting into the emotion of the text right away as I'm setting the historical context. And then later I bring up why he is there and his lifelong pursuit of blessing. So... Yeah, they're just different things I looked for and tried to tie together as I went through that message. That's great. So there's there's fear, there's anxiety, the the image of the sleepless night. You're 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 not starting with the contemporary world, you say, but you really are because who has not felt anxiety? Who has not had anxious, sleepless nights? You know that is yeah, exactly. And see, here's here's the deal. I believe that if you relate emotionally to the text and the characters in the text when you're dealing with narrative, that you can get away from a lot of that traditional homiletic wisdom about, well, you've got to start in this world and somehow make it relevant to the past world. No, if you can relate emotionally to the people in the text and what's going on there, you're already relevant. You don't need to add another layer of starting in the contemporary world. Get to where they are. Let people relate to those people in the text. Let them see themselves as Jacob. And brother, I tell you, when I preached that sermon, I was not ready for the response I got. It was in an African-American context. 
So often there's more feedback there. But often that feedback is sort of reserved until you really get into the sermon. I was only two sentences into it, and they were already responding to the message. So I knew then that I had tapped that live wire of emotion and value and worldview, that it was all tapped right there at one time, and they were ready to proceed with me. So it's really it was a message that God blessed, and I was very thankful for that. Wow, that's really powerful. I love that tapping that live wire of emotion that's already in the text, and that's probably, we can also assume, in your people as well. That is a great image, Greg. I really like that. Very powerful. So, oh, like the third rail. Yeah, it's like the third rail of the subway. In preaching, you want to touch the third rail. Ah, that's that's a great image. So let's let me ask you one more question. So I, you know, most preachers tend to love the the academic side of preaching and love the study and love the exegesis. And what? Give me a couple practical ways to to tap into the emotion of expository preaching. I believe that to do this effectively, it requires more than the mastery of a technique, and it really requires personal growth. Hmm. Many of us in ministry are emotionally scarred hmm. because of the traumas we've experienced from our childhood or in ministry. And if that trauma is not dealt with, it creates in us sometimes an emotional hardness or blindness, and then we allow our response to that trauma, whether it's anger or bitterness or fear or guilt or just too eager to please other people, we allow that to become our emotional filter through which we read the Scriptures, through which we preach the Scriptures. There are some preachers that always sound angry Mm. when they preach. There are others who never have a negative word to say about anybody or anything. There are all sorts of reasons that preachers can fall into emotional ruts. We need to know why we are as we are emotionally, not just with trauma, but are we emotionally fatigued? What are our gifts uh, that God has given us? What is the culture in which we preach? What is the expectation there? So the more we know about ourselves emotionally, the healthier we are emotionally, the more easily we can relate to the emotions in the text, and we can convey those to our people. I think that it's important that we read the Scripture emotionally attuned. How would it feel to be in those situations? So we have to read the Scriptures carefully, uh, read them slowly, deliberately, let that tone carry over into the pulpit when we go to preach. We need to work on our storytelling skills, vivid descriptions. That's a key way of getting people to identify with us, to get them to identify with the characters in the text. If you don't know how to do that, John Walsh wrote a great little book on the art of storytelling. There's some workshop videos on YouTube that are free by that same title, The Art of Storytelling. He'll walk you through how to develop a story to tell it effectively. I would recommend that people look at that. Uh, go back and look at Aristotle, what he had to say about pathos and rhetoric. What he discovered about emotion then still holds true today. People are not only swayed by your logic and whether they think you're a good guy and worth listening to, they will also be swayed by your emotion. You see that nowhere more clearly than if you watch a television program on a jury trial. The evidence that's being argued is the same. The only thing that makes the difference is how the prosecutor plays to the emotions of the jury and how the defense attorney plays to the emotions of the jury. Hmm. 
It's a great pick of how you can take the same information and do different things with it to move people to see your point of view. That's dangerous. It can be manipulative. But the, the safety there is if the emotions you are playing upon are the same as those that are employed by the text, then you have some authority for doing what you're doing. That's a great point, Greg. I love that. If it's, if it's in the text, then we are not truly being expositional um, to bring that out. Um, really good point. Greg, you've given us some really great stuff to think about. I really appreciate you taking time with us today. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so this is, I've been talking with Greg Hollifield, and as our guest from uh, the Evangelical Homiletic Society, among his other role. This is Matt Woodley at Monday Morning Preacher. And Preacher, I encourage you, you are a whole person with emotions and with a mind, and your people have emotions and minds. So bring out the emotion in the text and uh, speak with the emotion that God has put within that text. Hope you have a great day. Matt Woodley, Monday Morning Preacher.